It is an honor to give my first sermon here on a day <laughs> that was. Thank you. The point was on a day that is dedicated to children. We just heard the gospel story from Mark of James and John, two of Jesus' disciples, who are trying to make sense of all that is happening around them. Even though James and John, along with the other disciples, at this point have traveled and dined and studied extensively with Jesus, our story finds them having trouble understanding just what it means to follow Christ. James and John with their, are you able to grant this to me and we want to sit by your side, they want a piece of what's about to happen. This imminent thing Jesus keeps alluding to, only they don't understand that Jesus is alluding to his death. Can we sit at your right and your left side, Jesus? We're your closest friends, we're your followers, and we want, actually we deserve to ride your coattails to glory, to whatever's next. We don't know what it is, but I'm sure it's going to be great. Fame and power are attractive, aren't they? This isn't a new notion. But Jesus says, hmm, not so quickly. You're confused, even though this is the third time, just in Mark, that we have had a similar exchange. Jesus discloses his death. The disciples respond inappropriately and confused. And Jesus responds with a teaching that includes a paradoxical formula. We see it first in Mark 8. Whoever wishes to save their life shall lose it. Again in Mark 9. If anyone wants to be first, they shall be. And here we are in Mark 10. Whoever wants to be great shall become your servant. These teachings are expectation reversals, aren't they? So I have to ask myself on this children's Sabbath, if Jesus were walking around here today, watching our culture trying to be great, trying to cling to glory, what expectation reversal might Jesus provide? I think he'd have something to say about how we are treating children. He might go as far as to offer us a fourth exchange, if you will. If anyone wishes to have a great and fulfilling life, then let them center the needs and dreams and hopes of all God's children. Because throughout his life, Jesus centered, valued, and empowered children, yes? And so despite what society tells us, so should we. But it's easy to get confused, like the disciples. It's easy to, like the tradition of the day, equate greatness with power and domination. But let's don't get confused. Jesus clearly said, don't be like the Gentiles. They abide by a certain political and social structure, but that's not so for you, my disciples. And so that's not so for us, middle church. That's not so for those of us who believe there must be something more. Who believe there must be something more 
than the social and political structure of what's coming out of Washington. There is. And don't let us get confused. When 21% of New York's children are poor and children of color are disproportionately poor, we too are confused. When 19% of children live in food insecure homes, we too are confused. When we create a culture where white women are emboldened to call the police and damage the psyche and safety of young black children that happened in Brooklyn just last week when a white woman called the cops on a nine-year-old boy because she thought he assaulted her when he walked by her with his backpack, we too are confused. When we send two-year-olds to court by themselves, and when we are 12 weeks behind the deadline to reunite families who have come to our country seeking safety, we too are confused. When we market dolls the color pink and tears only to young girls, and cars and Legos and the color blue only to young boys, we too are confused. When we participate in a culture that celebrates locker room talk and the objectification of women, we elect Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court and we too are confused. When we push children out of worship because we think they might disrupt, we too are confused. When we care only about the school our children attend and not the school two blocks away with significantly less funding and resources, we too are confused. And when we don't care at all about children, because we don't have any, either because we can't or we don't want to, we too are confused. Marion Wright Eldeman, famous child advocate, says, the future which we hold in trust for our own children will be shaped by the fairness to other people's children. And I'll say that again. The future which we hold in trust for our own children will be shaped by our fairness to other people's children. In seminary, I worked in a community center in the poorest neighborhood in Richmond, Virginia, Mosby Court. It was there I met Miss Shree. Shree was assaulted walking to work one morning at 4 a.m. The assault resulted in the birth of her beautiful daughter, B, who I'd come to love through our after-school program. But Shree lived a difficult life, had close to no resources, and was pushed to the edge of society because that's what we do to single black poor women, isn't it? We push them to the edge of society. And so that's what happened also to her daughter, B. So imagine my surprise when returning to school after Christmas break, I got a call that B was in the hospital at 14, giving birth herself. I'd missed her pregnancy through the large winter clothing and coats, but most likely I'd missed her pregnancy in my own denial of the continuation of a system designed to oppress Shree and B. In the hospital room meeting B's baby, it became very clear to me why we must care for children that are not our own. I did nothing 
to warrant being born with white skin in a healthy home with affluent means. And Star, Shree's granddaughter and B's daughter, did nothing to warrant her birth to a person at the time who didn't want to parent. Don't be confused, Amanda. You're connected to that baby. Alexis Pauline Gums, educator and self-described queer black troublemaker, challenges traditional expectations of what it means to mother. Kind of like Jesus challenged James and John's expectations about what it means to be great. Gums redefines mothering as something that every single one of us is called to do, regardless of our gender, or if we have biological, adopted, or children otherwise entrusted to our care. Seeing motherhood as a queer collaboration with the future, don't you love that? Makes visible the meaning relationship between children and adults who do not have the legal or biological status of parenthood. Mothering is a social practice, one of nurturing, affirming, and supporting life. And, she continues, those of us who nurture the lives of those children who are not supposed to exist, who are not supposed to grow up, are revolutionary in our beings and are doing some of the most subversive work. Praise God. And we do that work here at Middle. We mother at the border. We mother when we say black lives matter, love is love, and families belong together. We mother at the Lower East Side Girls Club and in Rikers Island. We mother the unborn when we talk about environmental justice. We mother children here every Sunday as we help them up on the mat for the moment of all ages. And we mother when we challenge tired gender norms that are only hurting our culture. But we can always do more, yes? And we recognize this work isn't easy. We can continue to educate ourselves on best practices for anti-bias and anti-race resources because if we don't start with our young people, we are never going to change. We can continue to pressure our administration to reunite families now. And we can stop to notice, as Jackie beautifully called us to last week, the presence of the presence among us. We can look at every child we see and care about their futures as much as we care about our own. And we can say to our young people, like I'm going to say now, young people, raise your hands, however you define that. <laughs> young people, I see you, we see you, you are beautiful, you are perfect. And even on days when you think you've messed up or when you think you are not being who society tells you you're supposed to be, you are a beautiful person because you are God's creation. Thank you for being here. Thank you for teaching us. Don't be confused, Middle Church. 
Don't be like James and John, like so many today, caught up in power and status. And don't be disheartened that this road is long. It's no accident that a version of this story occurs three times in Mark. Jesus knew his followers were thick-headed then, and he knew we would be confused and thick-headed today, right? <laughs> a few months ago, after a version of the Muslim ban passed, my four-year-old son, Zane, saw me upset. When he asked why, I told him. I said, our administration is still making decisions that are unkind, that do not value all God's people, Zane, and that makes me sad and angry. Oh, are we going to have to go to another parade, Zane asked. <laughs> now, parade is his word for protest, it's a beautiful word. I'm not sure, Zane, I said, but I think we are. But I think more than that, I would like to know how we can teach this administration, how we can teach people to just be kind. How can we do that? I asked him. Mom, Zane said, I think we have to stay in the parade for a long time. June Jordan knew what she was talking about when she said that children are the way the world begins again and again. If we listen, if we notice, if we become great, our children will help us begin again. Whoever wants to be great will mother our world. Whoever wants to be great knows that the kingdom of God is a countercultural system of justice and life together. Whoever wants to be great knows that children are our best chance of redeeming this world. So to staying in the parade, young and old alike, for a long time, amen. <laughs>